following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Tonight, we're going to look at these three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And up to this point in the series, we've really uh, taken one person at, at a time. And tonight, we're going to be grouping three people together. Not because there's not much to say about each. In fact, if we were to take each of these people separately... Uh, we could have a whole entire series uh, and spend on each of these people. And tonight we're going to group them all into one because I see that there is a common theme that is shared between these three men. I believe it's important to notice themes when they do come up in Scripture and look at them and say, okay, there's, there's a theme here. God is trying to tell us something. Uh, there's something that we should pay attention to here because it will it'll show us something new, something fresh and something that we could apply to our life by understanding this theme that's trying to be communicated. And I think the, writers of he- the writer of Hebrews is trying to, to tell us something here. Um, themes are really important, aren't they? Themes in the Bible, but also themes in life. I mean, if I asked you, if I said, hey, we're having a big party on Friday, I hope you guys could come. And you're like, well, I'm really busy, my parents are in town, whatever. And if I say, it's an 80s, uh, 80s tacky sweater party. You're like, well, yeah, I guess I can move some things around. I might want to be there. Um, <laughs> Havana Nights. Anybody go to, you know, Tacky Sweater Christmas Party? You know you've been to those. Um, Jersey Shore Theme Party? No? Oh, <laughs> no, just me then, huh? Twilight, Twilight Theme Party? Okay, nobody, huh? Wow. God works in themes. Themes are important to us. They, they communicate something really profound to us. Uh, and, and when we look at these three men, this family... Uh, we, have a, we, we see a family, Abraham's family, and his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob's sons, uh, 12 sons, and one of them, Joseph. We see that God's working in a theme with this family. And the Bible calls this theme a, a covenant. And a covenant, in essence, is just um, is a, a, a commitment between God and his people. And it's a way that God relates to his people. And we see this theme all throughout Scripture. It it binds everything together, this covenant of God, this relationship that God has made with His people. And if we see the Scripture through this lens of of relationship, of commitment of God to His people, we can't help but ignore it. I mean, it just pops out everywhere. And so we see that with these three men here. If If anything is clear in Scripture, it's that God is committed to His people. Even when His people continue to fail, He's committed to them. And this commitment from beginning to end will consummate in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it's the greatest expression of commitment between God and his people. Is that when you fail and you continue to fail over generation and generation, I will not fail. And and even more so, I will give everything and I will sacrifice my own son to communicate to you that my love does not fail to you. And Jesus said there is no greater expression, no greater love than this, that man would lay down his life for his friends. And so everything that these men look forward to in this commitment of God that they pursued would consummate in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son to redeem his people. And that, re- that word, redeem his people, is language of that Exodus story of, of God's people in bondage in Egypt, and God would redeem them, take them out. He would redeem them from a bondage of sin and adopt them as sons and daughters. It's a beautiful picture that we see there. And the entire Bible is is a repetition of this theme. So we see this theme manifested in these three men. 
we see first in Abraham that he offered up his son as a sacrifice to God, and God gave him back to gave his son back to him. We see that Isaac blessing his son Jacob, looking forward to a promise. We see Jacob blessing his grandchildren just before his death. We see Joseph blessing God's people and instructing them to continue focusing and keeping a forward focus on God's plan and promise for them. And by faith, they centered their entire life on this commitment, on this covenant, on this theme that God had given them, this promise that he had given them. You see, when we realize that something is really important, we center our entire life around it. And that's what these three men are going to teach us, is that when something is really important, our whole life becomes focused on that one thing. And from that one thing, if that's the center of our life, then everything comes from that. Our desire, our passion, our, our motives, our, our life, um, our choices we make, the things that we hope in, and the things we pursue are all going to come out of that one thing that's important. And that's what these three men are going to teach us, this, relation, this, this relationship, this commitment that God has to them. So they realize that their expression of, of genuine faith will reach out so much further than themselves. In blessing their children and being forward-focused, they realize that this commitment to me is not just a commitment to me, but it's a commitment that, that spans way beyond me. And so what we're going to learn tonight is that genuine faith is, is, is about something that is so much beyond just us, just our life, just your life, just your faith with God, just your commitment to God. And it's so much further reaching to, than that. And I think a lot of times it's, it's easy to get into the self-centered mentality when it comes to our faith. So we say, what does God want for me and how can I grow in that? And it says, all I need is Jesus and an island and, and I'll be fine and that's all I need. And yet this shows us a picture of something so much greater. And so we'll, we'll see that in trusting in God, they were looking forward to a promise that enabled them to not be self-centered, but be God-centered. And so let's look at each of these three in turn, and, and specifically, what do they do, and how does that teach us how to have a faith in God, and to live by faith, and to walk by faith in Him? And we'll see what that means also for us. And so let's look first at Isaac. You can go to verse 20. It's just one verse per person, pretty straightforward. Look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. All we need to know about Isaac here is just by looking at this one word, and that word is blessing. Isaac had faith, and an act of faith that he would, would manifest is blessing his children. And what is he really doing? What does it really mean to bless somebody? And there are some words that only Christians use, right? I think blessing is one of them. Think about that. There are some words that only Christians use, like fellowship. I've talked with friends about this before in the past. It's kind of my, my thing. Fellowship. If you were to say to somebody, hey, won't you come and have some fellowship with us? You know they're a Christian. <laughs> oh, it'd be great if you guys can hang out a little bit afterwards and have some fellowship. Let's fellowship together. It's just a bizarre word, isn't it? Maybe it's not bizarre to you because you use it a lot and you're a Christian. Um, and it's almost exclusively Christian. What about guard your heart? You ever heard somebody who doesn't know God say that? Guard your heart. Guard, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart, it's like an exclusively Christian word. What about, I don't feel led? No one says that unless you're a Christian. I don't feel led. It's like kind of the, it's the, the universal cop-out, right? If you don't want to do something, I don't feel like God's leading me. Or blessing. You see, in this word, this Greek word that is used, blessing is, is an exclusively 
religious word that is found in, in religious works. It, it, is, it is nowhere found in secular writings at all in ancient Greek. And so it's, it's an exclusively godly and spiritual word that Isaac is using with his family. And if we understand what blessing is, then we can really understand, okay, why was this such a wonderful act of faith that Isaac had in blessing his children? In blessing his sons, he was going to God and asking God to do something on behalf of his sons. It was an act of faith, which we also are commended to do, is to ask God to be involved in the lives of other people. It's, that's why it's so exclusively spiritual. The word is so exclusively related to God. Because in desiring to bless somebody, you're going to God with full confidence and trust and hope in Him and saying, will you do something for this person? Will you benefit this person? Will you do something? I'm coming to you and loving you and trusting in you and asking that you would do something on their behalf. That you would step in and actually change their lives and guide them and protect them. You see how that's just strictly something that's of God. And it's not a secular idea, that blessing. If God is a God who covenants with his people or, or is committed to his people, then to act by faith like Isaac is then also to manifest God's nature of being committed to other people by being committed to other people ourselves. To actually be committed to people around us and say, in order to bless you, I am actually going to God on your behalf. Asking that God will do something special for you. That God will do something meaningful and real that will change your life. Blessing is, is huge. It's wonderful when you see it like that. Who should we bless? Well, there's some easy answers, right? We bless our friends. You know, Jesus gave us a great example of blessing his friends before he died. He, he blessed his friends, his closest disciples. He prayed for them on their behalf. And he asked God the Father that God the Father would be a part of their lives, that he would continue to guide them in his name, by his power, by his spirit, that God would not leave them or forsake them, but, that would, but he would strengthen them and give them the words to, to speak, to be confident in, in what Christ had taught them. And so it's easy for us to go to God on behalf of our friends. You may be thinking of people right now in your own life that you think, you know, I want God to bless these friends because they've been a part of my life and I care for them and I love them. What about your enemies? Does God call us to to bless our enemies as well. He does. In Luke chapter 6, 28, Jesus says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Well, now that we know what blessing is, this verse, I think, takes on a whole other meaning, doesn't it? Because when I think, typically when I think, bless your enemies, I just think, okay, I'm just going to be patient with them. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to um, be tolerant of them. And that's my blessing of my enemies. Or I'm going to keep a distance from them, and that's blessing them. No, we're actually called to go to God on their behalf, asking that God would do something meaningful and real in their life that will benefit them. Wow. To bless your enemies, that's something really hard. Here we see a great example of Isaac blessing his children. And so for, for parents out there, a great example is to bless your children. Do you bless your children? And not just hoping that good will come to them, but but actually going systematically and regularly and confidently and sacrificially to God on their behalf, asking that God will raise them, be with them, reveal himself to them, guide them, protect them, nourish them. 
Well, in that way, blessing is, is something that we should do every single day for our friends, for our, our enemies, for our family members. It's something that Isaac did, and by faith he did it. And so when we bless others, we are trusting that God is committed to us and our prayers are meaningful to Him. And when we go with confidence, God listens. And that's encouraging. Can you think of people in your life that God wants you to bless? And I have in your bulletin there just some space. You know, there's just some reflection questions that I have in there as we go through these people and use that for what you will. If it benefits you to think through some people and write it down, please take advantage of that. But think right now just in your head. Who has God put in your life that you can bless? Think of your enemies, think of your friends, think of your family members. Is there anybody that needs the benefit and love and comfort of God in their life? And is God asking you to go to Him on their behalf? And I don't mean bless, like doing nice things for her. I don't mean going to God saying, I hope that, you know, I want to bless people and just have, so they have a good day. I mean, as a believer in Christ, going to God in the name of Jesus with full confidence that you will be heard and asking God to be involved in the life of that person. Confidence knowing that God will listen to your prayers. We should be thinking about people. And by faith, we should live that life where we are actually blessing people and thinking about people and asking God to be a part of their lives. And a sure way to break down that wall of self-centeredness. So if you're struggling with your faith like I have at my, in my own time, in my own times of where my faith has become so self-centered, where it feels like it's all about me, a sure way to break down that wall of self-centeredness and to make it more God-centered and Christ-centered is to begin to think about people that you want to bless. Because then your faith is more than yourself. And this is a theme of God, that God is committed to his people, and he wants us to be committed to people as well. Because we're not an island. We don't do things on our own. So we learn from Isaac that what does genuine faith look like? Well, then that means there's an aspect of our life and our faith that we exercise on behalf of other people. Let's look at Jacob. Verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob it was a great man of faith, wasn't he? If you know the story of Jacob, he had 12 sons. He, met, he had a wrestling match with God and did not die. He survived. His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And you think of Israel, that sounds very familiar. Yes, it's actually a nation. And his name was changed to the name Israel, and he would have 12 sons, and these sons would become the tribes of Israel, and they would inherit the promised land, and it would be broken up in 12 spaces, and they would inherit this land, and they would, that was their inheritance from God, their earthly inheritance. Jacob was a great man of faith. And of all the things the Hebrew writer could mention about Jacob, He doesn't mention any of those things. Where we would just go to, what did Jacob do as a great man of faith? We would go to all those things, right? We would look at the legacy that he left and the heritage that he had and the blessings that that were given to him. But look at what the Hebrew writer says. Okay, he says, I've got one verse to talk about Jacob and why he was a man of faith. I I wouldn't pick the verse that he picked. It says, by faith, when he was at a time of dying, he blessed his, the sons of Joseph, he blessed two of his grandkids, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He blessed his grandkids, he worshipped God for what he had done. And what's the significance of these two? See, his faith teaches us that our faith has the best work to do at the very end. Our faith has the best work to do at the end of our life. 
when we get to that place in our life and we look at the race that we have run and we look back and we worship God and we see the course that we have run and we say, I've been faithful through the love and strength and courage of God. I've been faithful and now I'm ready. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be done. Paul, at the end of his life, you may be remembering already as I talk about this, Paul said something very similar in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. He says, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, true faith enables us to finish well. Like Jacob. To walk in faith, then, is to see our life as not like this isolated time in space, but as a course. And not like a flag that we put in the dirt and say, this is it, I'm a Christian. I have faith. I'm a person of faith. And we put our, we put our flag in the ground and say, this is, what, this is who I am and this is what identifies me. But it's, it's not looking at that as, as one point in our life. But being a person of faith is seeing as our, our life as a course that we run. To walk by faith, we run the race that God has given to us. And that race is going to look a little different for every person. And as Jacob got to the end of his life, he said, this is the course that God has given me to run. And I'm finishing well. And Paul said the same thing. He said, this is the course that God has given me to run, and I'm finishing it well. You see, the greatest example and the greatest manifestation of genuine faith has its last work to do at the very end. And it's at that time where we see God has given me a course to run, and I I'm, I'm, have run it well. By his courage, by his strength, by his power working in my life, I have run it well. And so we, we look forward to that. He's looking back in his life, and all of us, from what I can tell, are not close to getting done. We're not to the end of our life as far as we can tell, but our days are numbered, and so there should be something inside of us that says, by faith, I trust that I want to run this course. And by faith in God, I will. And I want to, at the end of my life, I want to grab a hold of that crown of righteousness and say, look at what God has done. Like Jacob worshiping God, leaning over. Some commentaries think that he, was, he stood up and he was leaning over his staff because he was so frail, so old, he just couldn't do it. But his last act was standing up, leaning over, and thanking God for being there with him every step of the way and allowing him to finish this course. What comfort, what joy, what encouragement would there be to be at that point in your life and say, I've run the course and I've kept the faith and I've, I've finished the race that God has marked out for me. And Paul sees this as a crown, as a, as a reward that he would get at the end of his race, like a, like a trophy, like a job well done. And the question is then, well, okay, how do you, how do, what confidence do you have and how do you get that trophy? Uh, if there's a trophy to get, how do you win it? How do you acquire it? How is it accomplished? And he says something that's meaningful for us. And he says it's through the righteousness. And it's not your own righteousness. He says it's, it's through the righteousness of Christ. And so he looks back on his life and he says, I have finished the race well, because, not because of anything I have done but because of the work that Christ has done through me and because of my faith and my hope that was resting in Christ and what he did. And so Jacob is looking forward 
to this prize. He's looking forward to it, and Paul is looking back. So Jacob is saying, I ran the race because of what I've hoped in. And Paul is looking back and saying, I ran the race well because of what I hoped in in the past, that Christ had already accomplished my righteousness. Should we be fearful of finishing well? Because I've thought of that question a lot. Should we look at our life and say, I'm, I'm kind of crippled, I'm kind of terrified by the idea that maybe I won't finish well. And I want to say, no, I don't think that you should be fearful of finishing well. I think that you should cast your cares on Christ. And you should say, Christ, I trust in your work. And every day I'm going to trust in your work. And I'm depending on you. My hope is in you, in what you have done for me. That at the end of my life, I will look back and see that I have finished the race well. So you shouldn't be fearful that should happen. You should cast your cares and your anxiety on Christ. But here's another question. Should you be diligent then in living a life of faith and running that race well? Yes, you absolutely should. Paul says that he, he beat his body like an athlete, like he trained. It was a, a faith that was not just one moment in time, but a, a course that he trained for. He said he didn't just box the air aimlessly, but he became like a, a well-oiled faith machine. And so we should do that as well. We should be diligent in attending to our faith and knowing Christ and growing in Him with full confidence that if we abide in Him, we will run that race well. Paul says this reward is not only for himself, but for all who loved his appearing. There's that aspect of for all who loved his appearing, for all who saw this perspective that was future, for all who waited on Christ, for all who centered their life and their passion and their desire on something outside of themselves. Because when we look inside of ourselves, we put all of our cares and all of our hope in things that we can accomplish all through Scripture. This story, this theme is saying that Yeah, I could get you far, but ultimately you will be disappointed. It will fall short of what you hope that it would accomplish in your life. But if you cast your hope and your cares on Christ, you will never be disappointed because He is committed to you and He will never fail you. So that means that we live a life of faith today as if what happens tomorrow matters. And I want you to think about Who can you run this race with? You see, Jacob had these men. He kind of adopted his grandchildren into the inheritance that would be for his sons. And he looked back and saw that he ran the race well, and Paul ran the race well. And I would would ask you, who can you run the race with? Are there people that can that can be alongside you like a relay race? Because this is this isn't just like a four hundred meter sprint. You know, this is a relay race that we're running with. We're running with people. Think of one person that can encourage you in your, in your faith, that you can be vulnerable with and accountable to, and asking them, like, I want to run well, and my heart is prone to wander where I don't want to run well. And we need that support. One person can make a huge difference, and you need it. We all need it. I need it deeply. So think of that person. Boy, if you can come up with three people, then you're a rich woman or man. We need it. And even more so than that, can you think of one person that you can that you can actually go and encourage and run with? And not asking them, hey, would you run with me? But actually go and say, hey, I'm going to run with you. I'm adopting you. I'm going to be a part of your life. Ladies, think of some, a girl that's maybe younger than you, that is maybe a, a generation younger or a stage in life earlier. 
Men, think of, think of, think of young men that, that you can take under your care and talk with and pray for and say, you may not want to run, but I'm going to run with you. You may drop the baton, but I'm going to be right there to help you. We need that. And so if anything, in this theme, we see that there's this commitment with one another and that none of these men live, live their faith alone, but it's connected to others. Here's my tendency, and maybe your tendency as well. When I'm dead and gone, I really don't care what happens. <laughs> when I'm dead, I don't care what happens to this world. Global warming, I don't care. Okay, all the ice melts, I don't care because I won't be here. You know, national debt, really don't care. I mean, I got my own financial issues I'm working on. I'm responsible with my money. Um, I'm done with college, so I don't care how high college tuition gets. Don't care. Uh, Crosstown Freeway in Tucson, really don't care. I don't care if we ever see it. Now, I'm not trying to give a political commentary here. I'm just trying to give an analogy. So the tendency in my heart, and really my wickedness, is to say, hey, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to take care of my own faith. I'm going to grow, and I'm going to know Christ in the best of my ability. And what happens when I, de- when I die, I really don't care. And yet, that's a faith that is very different from the picture we have here. Because genuine faith, real living by faith, is knowing that what happens tomorrow, and even more so, what happens when we are dead, is significant to God. And it should be significant to us. It's a preparation for eternity. You ever thought of it like that? Everything that you do today is preparation for eternity. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, when he's talking about all the troubles that have come their way, he says, we don't lose heart. He says, through the outer self, though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Wow, what is he talking about? You know what Paul is saying? He says, one day, when we, when we do die, when our, when our life is over, we will stand as heirs with Christ, ruling over creation, living forever. And the things that we do today prepare us to carry that weight. Can any of you right now run the world? You've got a lot of work to do, right? <laughs> there's, some, there's some character issues that need to be strengthened. There's some uh, wisdom that needs to be gained. And see, Paul saw his life, everything that he encountered today, whether it was affliction or even joy or opportunity or struggles or whatever it was, he saw it as an opportunity of this as preparation to reign forever with Christ. And so he cared deeply about what he did today because it would have eternal significance. And Jacob and Isaac and Joseph had the same kind of faith. And we should have that kind of faith. Where can you be intentional in your life? By thinking, how can you have a mentality or an understanding of what I do today is actually going to matter, not just for tomorrow, but when, when after, after I die, when I'm gone. And it's significant to God. Some of you are, you pour your life out in, in so many significant ways, whether it's with some of you in young life, and you, you disciple young, young men and women, and you, you hang out with high school students, and teach them about God's word and walk along with them. You do that because you realize there's a a significance to that. Businessman or woman, you think about your life and work and how you can invest. And, you know, it's not just about making money. It's It's about proclaiming the goodness and authenticity and love of Christ in all that I do because all that I do is for the glory of God. And I don't do it in vanity, but I do it so that so that people might be blessed by it 
So it's not just making a paycheck. It's, it's about people knowing what God is like and who he is. Stay-at-home mom, your, your work is not insignificant. It's not fruitless. What can you do in that area where you can say, what I do today is, is for eternal significance? Or even as a student, working for the glory of God and working hard and preparing for the future and, and knowing that, you know what, what I do today does have significance forever. And guess what? You will live forever because we are eternal, because there is eternal life. And so there's this idea that, well, we're going to die. Yes, we're going to die, but we'll be reunited with our bodies and people do live forever. And let's look at Jacob as we get into that. Verse 22, or sorry, Joseph. Verse 22, by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Joseph stood above the other two, in my opinion, when it comes to faith. He was the favored son of his father, Jacob. He was beaten by his other brothers and sold into slavery, left in a pit to die, put in a hole and and beaten, and left for dead. He was tried with many temptations. He was robbed. He was betrayed. He was persecuted by the people he loved and that loved him. He trusted God the entire way. And what two things does Hebrew, this Hebrews writer tell about this man, Joseph? He told these, them what to do with his bones. <laughs> and that was his act of faith. He told them about the story of being in Egypt and how they shouldn't get comfortable there. Because it, it shows to us that his faith transcended his own mortality. That his faith was so much greater than his own life. And he anticipated potential temptation that his family would face when they got to Egypt. And what he said, so Joseph is here in Egypt, and if you don't know the story, real quick, like 15-second synopsis, Joseph is sold into slavery, becomes governor of Egypt under Pharaoh. He's given control of all the grain in in the whole empire, and there's poverty that hits the land, and his family that sold him into slavery that thinks he is dead comes to Egypt getting food, and who do they find? In charge of everything. Joseph. And we get that infamous line in Scripture that many of you probably have gone to where Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So we see a great man of faith. And so when, and then Joseph said, go get, go get my family and bring them to Egypt and I'll take care of you. And 70 people, there were 70 people in his family at that time that came to Egypt. 70 people. And Joseph says, do not get comfortable here. Because this is, God has a greater plan for you. God has more for you. God has a promise. He's promised a land for you and this isn't it. This is a foreign land. He's promised something great for you. An inheritance. A promised land. And so don't ever rest until you find it. Fast forward 400 years later. The exodus with Moses, bringing all of the Israelites, all of Joseph's family, out of Egypt. How many people were in the family at that point? Does anybody know? A million? You've got to be kidding. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, a million! (laughs) So some estimates are over a million. Okay, guess what? They got comfortable. Seventy people, now there's a million people. But Joseph, wanted, he was, his faith was so great that he said, I have a future perspective. 
My faith transcends my own mortality. God has promised you something, so pursue it tirelessly until you attain it. Don't get comfortable in your current situation. Because God has called you out of that. He's calling you out of this and into something better, into something great. And your, your faith, he says, will at times grow weary, but don't get tired of it. Because God, who's promised to you, is still faithful. So still pursue him. And see, even when Moses came to take the people out of Egypt and into the promised land, they didn't want to go. Next week, we're going to learn about Moses. They didn't want to go. Because they're like, it's comfortable. We have meat here. And he's like, but you're slaves. You realize that, realize that you're a slave. And we look at that and like, why did they want to stay? They could have had freedom. But you know what? We can be like that too. Where we can get comfortable in the life of, of, and pattern of, of sin and giving it to temptation and the comforts, the creature comforts and the natural comforts that the world offers to us in betraying Christ and living a life of sin. And if someone were to look into our life, if we were to look in our own life and say, how could you want that? Why wouldn't you want to be a free in, in a freedom in God? Well, it's warm, it's cozy, I have meat. I get to wake up and not remember what happened. I mean, it's just, life's good, you know. And yet, he says, don't grow tired. And he says, he gives him instruction what to do with his bones, which is really interesting. But this is, again, an example and manifestation of his great faith that was like this. He's, because he had an understanding of of eternity. And he knew that a day was going to come, he was going to reunite with his bones, and he says, I don't want to be here, but I want to be with God's people. And I want to be in the promised land. So he knew, I'm going to die very soon. But that's not the end of it. Someday I will reunite with my body, and I will be with God. And that's where I want to be. And so he gave them instructions, and that's what happened. They took his bones, and they journeyed all the way to the promised land, and then they buried his bones there. They're faithful to that. There's this theme in the Bible that we see in these three men and all through Scripture that God is committed to His people. And this example of genuine faith in these men is that our faith transcends our, our own lives. That it transcends further reaching than us. And that we should have this future focus. That we should realize, God, what are you calling me to do? How can I prepare for the future? And that's the last question I want to ask is, how can you prepare for the future? Looking at Joseph as he prepares for the future because of his faith, what has God entrusted to you? And how can you prepare for the future? If you have children, think of your kids and say, what challenges and temptations are they going to face when they're 5, 10, 15, 20 years old? I'm sure there are many. How can you prepare now to lead them in the love and discipline and comfort of Christ? Of Christ? What has God called you to be responsible in today? And how can you be responsible and plan for the future? Saying, this is where God is calling me. This is where I feel led. There's that, there's that Christian word. This is where God is leading me to be. This is what he's given me to be responsible for. How can I plan today and act in faith that if I pursue that with confidence in what Christ has given me, then I won't be fruitless, but I'll be fruitful. These three looked forward to God's faithfulness, and all of creation was building up to this climax in all of history. And we look back to this climax, and yet there is still a part of creation that looks forward because we still wait for Christ's coming. They center their lives on this event, and I encourage you that let's, let's center our lives on the event that Christ has secured for us our greatest need, that he has supplied for us our greatest desire in him. And that we would center our life on that and say, God, I am still looking forward to being with you forever. 
And I'm going to live today as if what I do today is going to matter for all eternity. Because it does. And not only for you, but people that also long for his, awaiting, his arrival. So think of those people that you can bless. Think about those people that you can run that race with. And think about how you can prepare and what God has given you today to be faithful to him. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.